Okay, well, thank you for attending this session. And uh, I guess you guys met me more or less. Uh, Rudy French, I'm the editor in chief of the Gold Standard Institute and a student of Austrian economics and uh, very much a student of Professor Fekete. In my other career, I was a mechanical engineer, designer, and so on. And this kind of slipped over to this new career. I looked at things a little bit from an engineer's point of view, and engineers love to have a definition. If you want us to design an elevator to carry 12 passengers to the 12th floor in 12 seconds, my first question is, what's a passenger? Is it a 98-pound little old lady, or is it a 250-pound footballer? And then, oh, uh, 12 floors, how tall is a floor? And yeah, it's 12 seconds, that I understand. So we had to define our terms. But before I jump into this, um, I gotta, thinking has to be encompassing the whole spectrum. The biggest picture to the smallest. There's a name for this, it's called thinking outside the box. Okay, but if you're thinking outside the box, it doesn't mean you ignore what's in the box, it just means you do that as well. And then if there's another little box inside that box, look there. So, you know, Einstein said you can't resolve a problem in the same context it was created in. So you've got to go above it or outside of it. So hopefully we'll do that. And uh, the biggest context is people give up their power. People don't take responsibility to make their own decisions. Oh, Bernanke will make the decision for us, or uh, you know, the doctor will make the decision for us, or the nutritionist will make the decision for us. Okay, well, here's the result. So I don't want to, uh, I want to emphasize that the Gold Standard Institute is not out here to push stuff, to argue, to, to do any of this, just to present things for your information. And um, like the Buddha said, don't believe anything just because authority tells you it's true. And he said, don't believe anything just because tradition tells you it's true. And then incredibly enough, he said, don't believe anything the Buddha tells you. So don't believe anything I tell you. What do we believe? Who do we trust? Well, how about yourselves? Okay? But if you understand that two and two is four, you're not going to have to have a mathematician explain this to you, and you're not going to have to have Bernanke tell you what money is or isn't, because you'll know. So the theme is more or less about uh, where do we go, what do we do, how do we get out of this mess, and what will it take. And I'd like to use an analogy from engineering, the triangle, and the engineers here would know what I mean. A triangle is stable. If you push on it, it doesn't move. If it, if it was a rectangular or a square, it would be able to do this, and if it's a circle, it can become an oval. But there's not too many engineers here, so I'm going to use a stool. And something you sit on. Three-legged stool is stable, no matter what. You can sit on it, it doesn't rock, and if the floor is a little bit crooked, it doesn't matter. Four-legged stool is a little different story. You've got four legs. Well, it can do this if the, two, the, the floor is crooked, or if the um, one leg is shorter than the other, or longer. So three is a sort of a magic number. And uh, unfortunately today, our economic system is not a four-legged stool, not a three-legged stool, not a two-legged stool, a one-legged stool. That's all there is. And the leg is made of paper. So as you're sitting on this stool, you think about it, the whole world's economy is resting on this one leg, 
made of paper. <laughs> Doesn't sound too good. So, engineering 101, define your terms, debt <coughs> or credit. Now, everybody says debt and credit are opposites, but if you step back just one step, it's actually flip side of the same coin. So you see how that works? It's like hot and cold are opposites. They're just both measures of temperature. So there's always a higher context. And what a debt or credit situation is, exchange of present goods for future goods or promises. End of story. Definition. You don't have to go any further. And, and you, you notice I put this first. Yeah, because you can have debt before you have money. In fact, you probably do. People can promise to deliver a chicken tomorrow or a chicken egg tomorrow for a fish today, even if they're in a barter system. And in some communities, uh, people help each other raise a barn, and next year those other guys will help this guy raise a barn and just sort of credit, social credit involved. Now, once you go and have this definition down solid, then you can define money. Money, as you've heard obviously, that which extinguishes all debt. And I underline extinguishes and all. Because a borrowed pound of sugar represents a debt, but if it's paid back with sugar, that debt is extinguished. If, a, if, a, if there's an IOU written for that pound of sugar, and the IOU simply goes to somebody else, the debt is not extinguished. But sugar does a good job of extinguishing all debt. You need to have money which extinguishes all that. So that's the two definitions. Everybody okay with that? Yeah? yeah. All right. So when we're talking about the financial system, we've got your future and your present, or now. This instant now. Oh, there's a new instant now. Oh, there's another new one. Well, if you've got a piece of gold in your hand, it's there. And if you've got a promise of gold, it's not there. That's the dividing line, now and the future. The now is one instant, the future is, who knows? It could be days, weeks, months, years. There's many, many futures. These are all present goods. This is very important to understand. Money in your hand, gold money, silver money, is a present good. There's a bunch of present goods down here. I, I made some scribbles. And through Mengarian action over who knows, eons, humanity decided for many good reasons that gold and silver are money, nothing else is. They're differentiated to the extent that you can't miss it. You can measure it with stock to flows or you know, slow decline of marginal utility and you know, the functionality, the preservation of value, the fungibility, the uh, specific value, you know, all that stuff, okay? So if we take the, that, that leg, first of all, substitute real money for the paper, our stool has a solid leg, and one. So it's still unstable, but it's not gonna crash. But it's unstable, that means you have to support it, and so on and so forth. And if you look around the world today, you'll see uh, CDS, or whatever these things are called, uh, debt instruments, and uh, you know, uh, options and options, and all these weapons of financial destruction, those are all attempts to keep this thing balanced. They're actually insurance, but then the insurance doesn't pay off, so you've got to insure the insurance. So you've got to have more than one leg. So how do we, what do we do here? Now, the professor already talked about 
the pseudo gold standards and so on, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But you start by differentiating money from debt. Two legs. Fire and water are poles apart, just like debt and money are poles apart. Polar opposites. The water extinguishes fire, money extinguishes debt. It's very simple. And debt is, again, many, many different forms of debt, just as there are many different forms of present goods. So we got one leg down here, and okay, we got something up there, but we don't have three legs yet. So where's our third leg? Well, this is where it gets interesting. Now, this conflation really was finalized under Nixon 40 years ago that it's debt money now. And think about debt money, debt money. They're the same, are they? Well, <laughs> every time you hear the word money, substitute the word debt because they're the same. So you don't have a money supply, you have a debt supply. You don't have money printing, you have debt printing. You don't have more money chasing less goods, you have more debt chasing less goods. And when you say repay the debt or pay down the debt, you're repaying the money. Paying down the money, they're the same. Well, clearly that's absurd. So it's got to be differentiated. Now, Sandeep already talked about the chits. These are all the chits. And he talked about different grades of chits and so on and so forth, just as there are different grades of goods. Some are pretty worthless, you know, gravel and dirt, not worth much. Uh, some stuff, diamonds and, and maybe platinum, are even more valuable or higher specific uh, worth than money, but they're not money. Okay? Well, same story up here. You've got a bunch of different things, but one of those things is different from all the others, which of course is the real bill. So I'm going to add to this, and I'm going to put here borrowing. You see, so you can call this the bond market. Okay, that represents borrowing. And borrowing involves terms, or, or not terms, but time. Uh, it involves collateral. It involves payment streams. You all understand what borrowing is. Borrowing and paying back. And then there's different classifications of borrowing. There's commercial credit, there's consumer credit. And commercial credit is more able to pay itself, if you will, because let's say you buy a taxi. Well, presumably using a taxi will pay off the debt. But it's not the taxi that pays off the debt. It's the passengers who ride the taxi who pay off the debt. Yeah? And if you buy a car, same car, it's not a taxi, well, it's your earnings in some other area that pay off the debt. So none of these uh, debts are self-liquidating. They are liquidated by some process, other process. Here we got the bill market. Now, I'm not sure if everybody understands what a real bill is. And when I first started to read the professor's work, this was very obscure. I had never heard this before, not a word. And I don't want to get into too much detail on that, but when I realized that his work was important and I'm going to study it, that's where he starts. He starts about uh, the second uh, greatest story ever told, tongue-in-cheek, how this bill was brought into existence by human interactions. And I'm sitting reading this, I have no clue. But I said, okay, whatever he says I'm going to listen to, and gradually over lots of reading and studying, I said, oh, I start to see, mm. And then I said, wow, is this ever important? Oh, wow, is it ever obscure? And Nixon cut this leg, 
the, 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 you know, and turned it into paper in 71. But this was already cut off before World War I, 110 whatever years ago. So it's not only obscure, but it's well back in history, ancient history, another ancient relic. Okay. Now, <clears throat> here is borrowing, here is clearing. What is clearing? I, I, I don't want to just use the word credit or debt for these things because it's, it's too general. It's like saying this is a, a metal. Yeah. So? Oh, it's a precious metal. Yeah. So? It's a yellow metal. Well, yeah, so is copper. So? Oh, it's a monetary metal. Oh, now we've got it in there. Well, the same kind of thing up here. You could call it terms, commercial terms. Think about it this way. Um, big tank truck pulls up to the gas station and delivers 30,000 liters of gasoline. And uh, I don't know how much gasoline is in, in uh, New Zealand. A dollar a liter, two dollars a liter, any, any numbers? Two or six. Two? Two dollars six cents. They call it two, I don't like numbers. I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> Sorry, Sandy. Uh, two dollars, so if it's 30,000 um, liters, a debt or credit is due of 60,000 New Zealand dollars. Now, is that gas station attendant going to go into the till and fork out 60,000 dollars? I don't think so. Or is he going to write a check for 60,000? No. He's going to sign a bill. He's a paper that says such and such a date, this gas station received 30,000 liters of gasoline and terms to be paid in 60 days, 90 days, whatever the terms are. So there's your credit. Oh, was there any borrowing? No. Uh, is there any uh, income stream, interest rate, um, collateral? Is the gasoline collateral? Well, no, it's being sold. Or, or if it's cabbages, or whatever, whatever, cons whatever consumable stuff it is. So that piece of paper represents 30,000, uh, I'm sorry, 60,000 New Zealand dollars. So it's valuable. So the, 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 the gasoline wholesaler gets this, this note. What does it do with it? Well, stick it in the till and wait till it matures, or put it together. This is the accounts receivable if you take them all, and maybe they go to the bank and borrow against it. It has value. But under a real bill circulation, <coughs> something else happens. This bill. And actually, it's happening today in a vertical sense because this bill, or this invoice, if you will, is used by the gasoline wholesaler to pay his debt to the refinery, wherever he gets his fuel. And then, so in effect, it's endorsed over to this other entity. And now, the, when the bill comes due, it's not paid to the wholesaler, it's paid to the refiner, that sum of money, and so on up the stream. So this bill is used to. Uh, I don't want to say it used to extinguish that, but it's used to net out the transactions until it comes due, when it matures, then it's paid off. Now, under a gold standard, the way it was practiced in the uh, 19th century, there was bill circulation all across the board, not just vertical, but horizontal. Every merchant would substitute bills for goods and goods for bills, and it just went around and around. And most payments were done in that level in the form of bills, not gold. And like the professor was saying, this is extremely efficient 
90 or 99 or who knows percent of financial transactions are through the circulation of these things. Now how could that be? Well, let's suppose you have, you know, your gasoline is delivered by a wholesaler and then maybe there was a, another guy in there who was a refiner and somebody else did something else or suppose it was something more complicated like a jet engine or well, that maybe jet engine is not a good idea but bread. Baker has the bread and the flour and, and all the ingredients and all these transactions are funded by that one bill and no gold changes hands. At the end of the day, there's some netting out. So 90 or 95 or maybe even 98% of all transactions go through here. Is that, is that clear? Okay, now there's more to it than that. As I said, this is not self-liquidating. Something has to happen use of the machine and suppose the market changes and you know you're talking two three five ten twenty year terms maybe things happen it goes bankrupt or the taxi goes out of business that's why there's collateral cover that risk but this gasoline that gas station is going to sell that gas it's as sure as you can be of anything unless there's a world calamity in which case all bets are off look the gas station if the gas station starts to be in financial problems suppose the wholesaler is going to say, no, I'm not going to give you terms. You're going to pay COB. And remember one thing. This is a voluntary exchange here. And it's to the benefit of both parties. Well, clearly, it's the benefit of the gas station is, you know, he doesn't have to pay for 30, 60, 90 days. But what benefit does the other guy have? Well, he gets to sell 30,000 liters of gasoline. If you didn't give him credit or terms, he could sell him maybe 3,000 liters, how much cash is on hand. So it's to both parties' benefit, and they negotiate this out, and there it is. And of course, it is self-liquidating because the bill is drawn against that gasoline on that day, and so on and so forth, and when that gasoline is all sold, the sale of that gasoline liquidates the bill, and it goes away. So it serves a monetary purpose, very important monetary purpose, funding all these transactions, and then when it's used up and it's, it's cleared off the board, it's gone, and a new one takes its place. Uh, the next delivery of gasoline or the next delivery of who knows what. But it's even nicer than that. Suppose demand for fuel drops or demand for cabbages drops. Well, there are fewer orders, there are fewer bills. So the consumer controls this. The consumer controls this. Think about, I don't know, uh, the velocity of money. If the velocity of money picks up, if people spend more money quicker, more bills. Let's say it's Christmas time, everybody's buying like crazy. And then after in January, it goes back down. Now think about this also, the flexibility is in here, not in there. That money is fixed, 80 years supply, and doesn't grow by more than 1 or 2% a year. So if there's a huge demand for transactions, without this, this can't do the job, and the gold, the pseudo gold standard suddenly collapses, which is what happened. Another way to look at this, fixed capital, you know, your machine, your, your building, your, uh, you know, your, your herd of cattle, your, your, your orchard, all these things, this is flowing. It's the, the passengers who take the taxi, it's the product the machine makes, it's the apples that consumers buy, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's moving, and the very fact that it's moving is what makes it a bill. Because if it wasn't moving, 
there's not going to be any consumer buying it. It can't circulate. Nobody wants it. Well, how is it going to be paid? Okay? This is the triangular system. And uh, you've got to have this. You've got to have these three legs. Okay. So what happened to the real gold standard, the practical or, or classical gold standard? Remember we talked about this rocking and all that stuff? Well, there was a fourth leg attached to this, an artificially attached leg that the gold standard doesn't need. And to understand that, before I go into that, I'd like to uh, pull up Sandeep's little um, interesting little study. And I'm going to do a very simplistic example of what is called fractional reserve banking and show you that it's really not what it's made out to be and yet how important <coughs> it is. I like simple numbers, like I said that. So I got 10 people with 1,000 monetary units, call them silver coins, call them gold, whatever you want. They all go to the bank. And uh, now, okay, let's, let's, let's take a little aside here. Go to the bank. What happens to your money when you put it into the bank? Anybody? Yeah, that comes after. That's the first thing that happens to it. <coughs> you deposit it and, uh, and it's credited to your account. Credited? But I thought it was my money. It is. Then how come the banker decides what to do with it? If I go to a warehouse with a bunch of furniture, there, Mr. Warehouseman, I've got these tables and chairs and I need to have them stored for three months. No problem, here's your receipt, it'll cost you this. And three months later you come back, your furniture is gone. What in heaven? Oh, well, we sold it, but here's the check. I got some other good stuff here for you. You're not very happy. Or, oh, no, no, we lent it out to Mr. Jones over there, but it'll be back next month. Promise as good a shape as when you left it. Oh, wait a minute, that was my furniture. Why is money different? And suppose the, the warehouse company was bankrupt. Well, the judge or the trustee says, well, okay, this is... Jones Furniture, and this is Smith's Furniture, and this is this, this is that, that, okay, that. Oh, the warehouse building, that belongs to the company. Oh, the forklift truck, that belongs to the company. This is liquidated, pay off the creditors, or what's pennies on the dollar, and everybody gets their, their stuff back. Not with money. Why? Or you say, well, you know, money is fungible, uh, they're all the same, uh, what's the difference, which coin you get back? Suppose you deposit a hundred bushels of hard red Kansas City winter wheat in the grain elevator. Deposit it, not sell it, just put it in there for storage. And three months later you come back, give me back my grain, well guess what, you're going to get back uh, hard red Kansas City winter wheat, ten bushels. Will they be the same grains? Nah, because it's fungible, it doesn't matter. But suppose you get corn instead, <laughs> what? Or suppose it's being sold or leased out. You see the point here, I don't want to belabor this point. And interestingly enough, this is legally defined that once you put your money into the bank, it's not your money, you're only a creditor of the bank, so you have a claim against the bank, it's not your money. This goes back to the 1600s, 1640, 60, I don't remember the date. British jurisprudence, and it's important to understand, Britain was at the leading edge of property rights. The Magna Carta was written not too long ago. Uh, the Englishman's home is, is his castle. Even the king doesn't have rights in there. 
And even more than that, if I can, just one more aside, why did the Industrial Revolution start in England? Why not in France or Europe or somewhere else? Anybody? Laws. Yeah, laws. That's right. The British wrote a set of patent laws that said, okay, Mr. Inventor, we're going to recognize your intellectual property rights. Not only your, your physical property rights, but your intellectual property rights. And when Mr. James Watt looked at Newcomen's steam engine and had a flash of genius, he said, hey, I can make this thing more efficient. All I need is a condenser and this and that. So, yeah, flash of genius. Well, it took 10 years and, and a lot of Bolton's money to make this happen in the physical world. And wh why was that money available? Because of the patent grant that gave him the right to benefit from his invention, his uh, intellectual property. So this country, at about the same time, that's more and more property rights, suddenly in money says, no, no property rights. We're going to take away your property rights. Why? Okay, now we look at this. If you have property rights, if it's your money and you walk into the bank, the banker knows this, this is how the system works. The banker treats you like a customer, not like a cattle line up there and wait, and you get what you get if you're lucky. It's like, yes, Mr. Customer, what can I do for you, sir, madam? Well, I've got some money to deposit. Oh, yes, 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 by all means. What, what would you like to do with it? Well, what have you got to offer? Well, we can, and of course money is gold or silver. <laughs> We can put it in our vault, it's the highest security vault in the country, and we've got...